What's going on, guys? Welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Today, we are going to have episode number two with Laura Di Benedetto. Laura, hi. How are you? I'm good. It's great to hang out with you again. Absolutely, man. I was, uh, yeah. So we're continuing part two from last time. It was, uh, we got to some interesting conversations back then. And, uh, you know, I mean, let's hopefully continue that. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for it. Let's do it. So absolutely. Right. So like, yeah, let's uh, touch upon before what we were talking about. We were talking about different things, what you're doing, you're getting into uh, like you retired uh, at 37, but you pretty much uh, like me kind of went stir crazy after a while, had to do something different. And uh, you got into uh, trying to make everybody happy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, you can't make everybody happy unless you're selling ice cream, but then somebody's going to come along and complain. I can't have dairy. (laughs) There's always somebody. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I wasn't happy. So I wanted to solve the problem. Yeah, absolutely. The thing about happiness is it's contagious and that's wonderful. So I wanted to share it with other people. And, you know, I have to say for an independent author who uh, I don't have a big publishing house behind me to be able to achieve the success that I've achieved, have um, like a a lot, I mean, for an independent author, like 110, uh, like almost five-star reviews, I've got a 4.9 rating on uh, Amazon. That's pretty awesome. And, you know, it's like maybe one out of every 50 people that read a book will leave a review. So, you know, it's definitely selling and people like the book and it's changing their lives. And I get some really, really heartfelt, letters in my inbox it's so nice well that's interesting i mean like like would you mind sharing like the kind of uh like maybe some of the messages you got or like not in detail but this is warm and fuzzy for me oh no share your wins laura if i must (laughs) (laughs) um i think probably one of the most memorable ones is i got a very long um almost like a love letter from someone that uh uh, read the book and was formerly suicidal. He read the book and he did all of the work that I proposed that you do. And he went from suicidal to actually seeing that he is a worthwhile person who can do some great things in life. And he started to find his value and self-love and bravery. And it was Oh my gosh. I mean, it made me cry. It was just so powerful because I was like, man, this is, this is it. Like you, you, you know, you live your whole life and sometimes you have, you wonder if you ever make a difference, but then you get a letter like that was, and I call it a love letter because it was loaded with so much love for himself and for the work and everything that it just, it filled me with so much joy that I just couldn't help but cry. I was just blown away. I mean, there's more stories like that, but that one is the one that probably sticks out the most. Wow, that is powerful. Like, I would have never expected that. Like, not in a million years. Neither did I. I mean, that's probably, like, I mean, I I didn't get into this because I was, like, focused on suicide prevention. It's something I'd like to help people not do. But just to know that my work and something that I built was able to make that kind of an impact in someone's life when they were in such a position of profound pain and desperation because it's really what suicide is you just like all hope is lost um to be able to have a positive impact and change that for that one person it's just it's so profound it's so profound yeah well of course for the rest of my life it's just it's so powerful 
Well, that's the thing, right? Isn't that what life is really about? About, you know, affecting change, making positive impact? I mean, nobody wakes up and says, oh, I want to make a million dollars today because uh, it makes me warm and fuzzy and, uh, oh my there God, I just want to kiss that, that money. That way, but it you know? doesn't actually make them feel warm and fuzzy. No. It's just an emptiness, really. I mean, well, exactly. I years of chasing money and it's nice to have, but money's just a tool. It's like, yay, look at all the hammers I have. It's like, it's <laughs> cool. It's only useful if you know how to use it. Money's great because it can give you the opportunity to do things that you dream of. But if you're so depressed that you have no dreams, who cares if you're rich? You won't know what to do with it. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going with it. Love Sorry it. to steal your thunder. I apologize. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I, you know, it's better coming from you than me, right? Because I mean, otherwise I'm always preaching the same crap. <laughs> right? If more people say it, then maybe more people will listen. Yeah, exactly. Right? So awesome. That is amazing. So now, with that being said, obviously, was that your intent with the book? Like, what was your actual purpose? I mean, like, I've always wanted to write a book, and but I have no idea why. I mean, maybe it's just memoirs or something, but like, and maybe it's just a message I want to, you know, bring out. But um, I've never really pulled the trigger on that. And partly because I guess I don't really like, I don't know what to write. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, I, I like to sit down in front of a pen and write and it's one of those things I could write in one page and I'd be done. And I don't think anybody's going to buy a book in a one page format. So I kind of get lost. Listen, and I, you could have a really nice class, a pamphlet that people might pay for, but you could probably only charge a buck for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, the book isn't even about the money. It was just something I wanted to leave behind. It's kind of like a legacy thing. Right. But, mm, and I guess what I probably need to do because I'm good at speaking, I'm good at being in front of the camera. I'm good at talking and recording. Maybe I just need a ghostwriter where I can talk to. Maybe and, or, or like an interviewer. There's lots of services like that. Um, yeah. The reason why I wrote the book, I mean, I wanted to write a book since I was a kid because I'm, I am a creative person and I like to create things. Um, but the main driver for me was this compelling desire to share the information with other people. Um, happiness is super contagious and that's amazing. And that's like the kind of contagion we want something that really like gives us a reason to like be joyful and share and whatever. And I was just so happy that I had found the solution to my problem. And I also knew that I wasn't alone in having that problem that I thought, man, I really should um, just write some stuff so I can give this to people that I love. That's where it started. And I'll just, you know, write to explain some of these concepts and like, you know, put it through a couple of parables and whatever, just to like really make the point land. Um, but what ended up happening was I'm a writer. I just write and I'm, I'm very expressive in my writing and what began as just a way to explain it to loved ones ended up at like 20,000 words. And I was like, well, how long is a book? Oh, a personal development book is about 50,000. Well, shit, if I'm almost halfway there, I've always wanted to write a book. What if I helped everybody? So I decided to keep going and, oh, I'm so glad I did. I am so glad I did. It's been, it's been, um, 
such an unbelievable experience. I mean, I, I had the privilege of doing a TEDx talk um, to be able to talk about the knowledge and share the wisdom and, you know, publishing the book and seeing people so like drawn and like very emotional and expressive about what's in the book. And, you know, like there's a lot of really wonderful authors out there who are in the um, personal development space, like Gabby Bernstein and Eckhart Tolle, and they have their own signature way of doing things. Some are very spiritual, some are very emotional, expressive and all that stuff. And I'm a Yankee. My writing was, it was storytelling and it was also very practical. And it, a lot of men like my writing because here's the solution. Here's how you do it. Here's a story so you can see it in action. Now go do it. Like it's not this big emotional, like violins playing or, you know, like celestial thing. Like I, I could write that. And sometimes I'm in that space, but I wanted to create something that was accessible to everybody um especially teenagers because man teenagers need love they really do they're a very angsty bunch <laughs> <laughs> you mean they're not entitled and owed <laughs> <laughs> yeah no <laughs> oh man i was looking for my participation award i never got one yeah, it turns out life doesn't actually hand out participation trophies. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. But how long ago did you write the book? So I wrote it in um, 2019. Well, no, actually, I wrote it in the, uh, the, like the fall of 2018, or I began to. And uh, I ended up publishing it almost a full year later. Um, it took me quite a while to actually publish the book. So um no, I actually published it in 2020. Good Lord, listen to me. No, <laughs> it took, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't sound right because it took me almost two years from start to finish because I went through the editorial process. That took a while. Um, you know, the design process for the cover and um, hiring a professional editor, which I think is really important. Like if it's your first time or it's your 15th time writing a book by yourself and you don't have a professional editor provided to you, you really should get one because what they do is they see your writing from an outsider's perspective and they help your writing to not suck. Um, cause your writing sucks. My writing sucks. It just sucks. Like you need an editor and you're only capable of seeing just so much in your own writing. So, between going through that and the launch process and, you know, building a website and everything else, there was a lot of, God, writing the book was the easy part. It was actually all the systems <laughs> building around it that was really hard. I was like, why is this so hard? And then, of course, <laughs> you know, here I am thinking like a crazy person. I should write another book. Slow your roll, Laura. You sure you want to do two more years? You sure? Probably. I, I think I'm going to go after a publisher the next time. I um my audience is expanding um, substantially. And um, that's a big thing that a lot of publishers want to see is they want to see that you have a large audience and you can sell copies of your book on your own, which I can. And I don't even have a large audience. I have like a small audience, but it's a very mobile, engaged, happy audience that likes my book. So imagine if I can 20x that. No problem. There we go. You broke the 10x barrier. It's got to be 20x. Love that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome, right? I, you actually answered my second question. I was going to ask you if there was an, you know, another book in the works at some point. So you kind of answered yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's a couple of different things that I'm thinking about writing about. Um, so in the book, there's the six habits, and the second one, the the they're not listed in hierarchical order. It's just 
the order I wrote them in. The second one, acceptance, is the thing that probably 90% of my readers with struggle, they struggle with that more than anything else. And I could write a book just on acceptance alone. So I was thinking about doing that. I was thinking about creating like the six habits for parents or the six habits for couples, the six habits for entrepreneurs. Um, because a lot of these things have a lot of rich context um, that you can't always um, apply to your life um, unless it's like specifically geared towards you. And I think, I mean, even just within a relationship by itself, like I think about the role of acceptance and how self-love is so vital to the relationship that we have with our partner. Like, it's very, very difficult for me to not be a cranky, sanctimonious asshole unless <laughs> I love myself. I'm a better wife because I love me. I advocate for myself. I also have good boundaries. I also participate in the co-creation of a healthy marriage because I love myself unconditionally. And if my husband does something intentionally or unintentionally that is trampling on a boundary or does something that actually erodes our marriage, it's upon me to tell him. But if I don't love myself, I won't have the courage to do it. That makes sense. Yeah. See, a lot, a lot, here's another thing, right? I've seen this, and it was a professional development person who did, who who said it, and it resonated with me. I mean, since you brought up your husband and stuff, now a lot of times it said, like he wrote out on a, on a board, and, he, and the question was, you know, in a relationship, you know, who, what is the percentage? Of, what was it in a relationship? How much percentage? How, how how what was the word? Oh my God, where am I going? This who's responsible for the relationship? Like how much? How much? You know, like, would you, how much, how much responsibility do you have to maintain your relationship? Mm -hmm. And everyone raised their hand. You know, one person says, uh, 50, 50, another person said 75, 25, another one said 25, uh, you know, 75. Mm -hmm. The answer was a hundred percent zero because where, where it stemmed from what you're saying, basically about loving yourself, where it was, you can't control other people and how they react and how they act, but you can control yourself and how you react and act and it is your responsibility to be able to reach out there and, and communicate with the other person not have them guess with who you are what you're thinking what you're well, doing and doing it in a constructive and healthy way yes you know, I, I mean i'll be the last one to tell you that i have a perfect marriage i don't i don't nobody think does does um i, I think there is there's actually this really weird expectation out there that like self-help authors are not real people anymore with real feelings and real problems. I'd like to just break and pop that bubble right now. Yes, <laughs> we are. We're real humans. And you know what? We're all on this journey to create a better life, a better marriage, better whatever, right? We're always in the pursuit of better and that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like the, the two areas that I'm like very passionate about in terms of like who I would serve. I mean, I could easily write a book about, you know, the six habits for conservatives, but um, <laughs> I wouldn't exactly fly off the shelves. I think that, you know, touching on marriage um, or entrepreneurship, those are the two really um, powerful areas that I think that really need some help because entrepreneurs function differently. And a lot of us have ADHD um, and it's like thinking, I mean, even thinking about the subject of acceptance within the framework of entrepreneurship and what that means. Like you're not going to swing for the fences. If you don't love yourself, you're not going to go after the investments of dollars. If you don't love yourself, you won't even start the company. If you don't love yourself, you won't 
try very hard you won't and that all of it is rooted in this whole subject of like acceptance because that again it's unconditional self-love but think about all the things that you do because you love yourself and think about all the shit you don't do because you don't love yourself and and vice versa right like it like an entrepreneur is someone that has to put themselves um, in difficult situations on purpose, voluntarily. A lot of other people don't do that with like nine to five jobs. We just go to work, right? But like folks like myself, and I think you're an entrepreneur too, like we we have to willingly enter a building that's on fire all the time. We have to do things that scare us all the time. We have to constantly push our boundaries. We have to grow as people. We have to face scary stuff because if we don't, we might not eat. We might not be able to provide for our families. We won't be able to go after the things that we dream of. And economic prosperity can really be abundant for entrepreneurs or it can be scarce. But a lot of it originates and centers on this idea of self-love. And that's just one of the habits, just one of them. If you can master all six, entrepreneurship will be a joyful, liberating um sovereignty encouraging experience that helps you to reveal the very best of yourself and squash the worst of yourself. Well, that's interesting, right? I think I got to read the book. I'll be honest, right? Like it's, uh, look, I love entrepreneurship. I mean, I'm going to encourage you to read the book, but I'm biased. You should read my reviews (laughs) on Amazon. Let them tell you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, just even what you're saying here, right? Like the way you described entrepreneurship, like, look, I've, I've struggled doing the nine to five. I've struggled with, uh, Apparently, I don't take orders well, for last, lack of a better description. So with that being said, I've always been that uh, self-sustaining person. That's, uh, since I was 15 years old, I started my mm-hmm. DJing business. And I know it's just, you know, whatever. I wanted to be in radio. I figured, well, what a better way to get into it? Become a right. DJ, be in the public eye, and then, you know, the radio stations will want me to be there. Um, right. My route, I did not very well as a DJ. But uh, it wasn't, uh, obviously, it wasn't my ultimate goal. And uh, I found better opportunities. So I've always been through that, running into the fire, like exactly like you said. It's always putting out the fires. Sometimes I create the fires myself. You got to create a path somehow. And with that being said, I've done a lot of things, right? I mean, I've had businesses. I've done a lot of businesses. I've had some that failed, some that put me close to bankruptcy. I've done, uh, I've had businesses that brought me into eight figures a year. um, And I've been in between. So where I'm going with this is that the one thing that I did forget and that I kind of learned sort of like later on in life is to enjoy the process. I never did in the beginning. When I went through all that, even when I hit the eight figures, I was miserable. I yelled out at my employees. I had a close friend who worked for me. And uh, I remember one time he just said some stupid remark that even if you play it back to him, he would acknowledge, okay, that was stupid. Um, But I lost my shit. And uh, I grabbed one of the boxes on the table and I whipped it at him. Now he thought I just, you know, my normal temper tantrum and that I'm just smashing things like I usually do. Um, didn't occur to him that I was throwing it at him. He's like, Hey, you gotta be careful. You 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 know, you threw it my way. You almost hit me. I'm like, maybe it's good that he didn't know I was aiming for him. But, um, yeah. you know, where I'm going with this is that I, I kind of never enjoyed it. I kind of, uh, enjoyed the win. After I sold the business, as an example, I was done and is like, yes, that was a success. But you didn't enjoy the journey. Right. And that, but the thing is that, yes, that was a success. Lasts mm-hmm. about 30 seconds. You're going to really enjoy watching my TED talk because I talk all about how we are constantly in pursuit of highs. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that's exactly yeah. what it is. I mean, I did that too. Like I never threw a box at anybody. Um, but like, you know, I won stuff. I got a bunch of awards and um, I retired early and I was on TV multiple times and it was really cool. And I got clients and this and that, but like, I don't know if you ever done drugs in your life or like had candy, like it, or if you, no, like, but... you love candy corn, like you have that first piece of candy corn, you're like, Oh yeah. And then you want another one, another one, another one. And you're just chasing that initial high. And the thing is, it takes bigger and bigger wins to thrill you. And they're just highs. The problem with highs is they don't last. It's not permanent. And I think that's the big mistake that I made. And it sounds like that you made when we bounce from high to high, we're basically just dopamine addicts and we're not actually living in a state of consistent happiness, which is the thing I wanted to fix because frankly, chasing highs is actually exhausting. It's not sustainable and life will be hard sometimes. And what are you going to do when you run out of highs? Are you just going to be suicidal or can you actually create a good baseline? Yeah. You know, like Let's say on a scale of one to 10, you, you've got a baseline that will, you know, keep you at maybe like a four where you're like, not on death's door you're not really happy you're just kind of like meh you know you're just going about your day you're just drifting along with the tumbleweed of life and doing your thing a four is not exciting a 10 is also not a, it's not possible a 10 is what you visit periodically those are the highs but being able to live at like a seven or an eight as a general state of being is actually possible but you have to change the way your thoughts happen so we've got well-worn grooves in our head about how we respond to things like you had a well-worn groove in your head of i respond to frustration by throwing shit right and yeah. that was a well-worn groove in your head and that is a mental habit of i get frustrated and i get angry when i met with something i don't think i can do or that i don't like because i resent it whatever um you know, and, and sometimes like when our partner criticizes us, we immediately get defensive and that's, that's our pattern. That's our mental habit. Like I get criticized by the person I love the most. I take it personally. I'll, all I hear is you don't love me and therefore I get angry and that's my mental habit. You have to break those mental habits. You have to have the, the work happen over a sustained period of time where you intentionally catch yourself doing the thing that doesn't serve you and then actively replacing it with the thing that's awkward and weird and then living with the awkward and weird until it's not awkward and weird anymore. And then it's like, oh, well, this is actually better. Yeah, it is. And then it starts to become your default. Your default behaviors mentally can change. Like people think of habits as physical things like brushing teeth and getting coffee. And it is, but it's mental too. That makes sense, right? Like I had a period of three years that felt like that utter bliss, like the nothing can go wrong. And um, unfortunately, it was when my parents got sick. And it wasn't because they got sick. Let's, you know, get that out of the, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, what a sick man. <laughs> what it really was, it was the fact that um, it forced me to slow down. Like what it means is my mom had Alzheimer's. She went into a, a retirement home. And um, we kept her at home as long as we could. But when she started wandering off at four in the morning while we were still sleeping, it got to the point that it was just not, you know, it's not possible. Mm -hmm. So we, she ended up going to a retirement home and my dad was at home with, and I stayed home with him. He uh, went through some emotional battle and then eventually he got sick too. So I ended up being at home for a while while that was happening until he decided to go to home as well when uh, he reached a certain level.
But were you more present in that point of your life? This, this is where exactly where I was going. What ended up happening is because I was forced to get rid of my business. I got rid of the business and then now I had nothing left. I wasn't working and uh, not that I needed to, but it wasn't the point. Um, so I was just there and I spent time with my, and I probably spent more time with my parents in those three years than I did pretty much since I was a kid. Right. So it was interesting. I was just there and I used to, my dad used to love to play cards and he was so competitive and the, and he had all these smug remarks that him and his friends would make it towards each other. And they tried bringing that on me. And I, and I used to piss them off, not because of the remarks I would make, but they would look at me and say, nothing bothers this guy. Like they're trying to get at me. So I'd fumble and they realize I'm just so calm, so relaxed. Nothing's getting to me. And that was irritating them because they didn't know how to, how to break my poker face. Right. So, <laughs> and it was, but that, that moment when that, when my, like, it was, a, it was one of the neighbors who lived across the street. When he said that to me, or said it to my dad about me, that's when I realized. And like, I, and I, and that's when I started learning to become self aware. Mm. Right. And I started thinking about it. And I'm saying, <clears throat> yeah, you know what? When I had my business and I was in all that stress, I used to be all bent out of shape. Little things like, you know, like, Somebody throwing the wrong card and costing me the hand would set mm -hmm. me off, right? I'd be so angry. Where now, nothing bothered me. It didn't matter. I didn't care. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it was just happy, right? And I was just mm -hmm. in that, like I said, like you said, I was present. Mm -hmm. Wasn't worried about yesterday. Didn't care what happened tomorrow because I knew it was going to be the same because I was there with uh, an ill parent. Not much mm -hmm. is going to happen other than what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just accepted it. And... I was in that present moment, like you said, and, and I hadn't felt like that since I was a kid. That's awesome. So it said that those were the best three years of your life and it, or, you know, your adult life and uh, they were the most happy, but it seems like that faded. Yeah, because uh, a lot of things changed, right? And um, I've been through uh, more turbulent times and I've been through rock star times. Um, some of it is I'm a perfectionist and I want, maybe I have, maybe my expectations for myself are too high. Um, or maybe I haven't grown enough to learn how to conquer them. So whatever it is, I just, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Now at one point in time, I, what can I comment on that? Go ahead. Perfectionism is usually a result of inadequate self-love not to blow you up on your own show, but like, <laughs> like we can all do better. So anyone listening or watching myself included, we can all do better. Right. And perfectionism is usually a fear of not receiving external validation. And the reason why we want external validation so deeply is because we are woefully uh, devoid of internal validation. If you validate yourself, you don't need other people to do it and you don't need to, things to be perfect. You can enjoy the mess because you realize that you are valuable, wonderful, and beautiful exactly the way you are, imperfect as you are. So, you know, you could be exacerbating some of your own um, moments where you're leaning away from joy because, you know, of the acceptance thing. And I'm telling you, most people struggle with this. And and I remember actually working with some coaching clients early on. And uh, I talked to them about the framework. They, they read the book and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't struggle with acceptance. Okay, cool. Let's examine. So these were people who are outwardly confident and whatever, but it actually came to pass where we discovered, 
oh, wow, you do struggle with acceptance and it here's how it manifests itself. Because if you didn't do those things, it would be evident that you loved yourself and it's obvious that you could love yourself more. Like you, it's like imposter syndrome, you know, comparisonitis. Those are major symptoms of people who don't accept themselves and have that unconditional self-love. And I use the word unconditional with a lot of intention because um, a lot of people will say, oh, I love myself, but they'll put a little asterisk on it. I love mm. myself when I'm skinny. I love myself when I win. I love myself when, and there's always a condition attached to it. It's like, oh, well, you're attractive for your age. It's like, why did you need the second part? <laughs> like, yeah. why do you need the second part for any of it? Like, I love myself when, and no, 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 I love myself <laughs> should be the complete sentence. Like, that's it. Like, we, that's, we, that's very interesting. We, we make things harder than they really need to be. And so if you are threatening to read my book, and I hope that you do, I think that you're going to be entertained, but also simultaneously challenged because you'll be like, oh yeah, I've, I've got a lot of these habits mastered. But if you really do the work to look deep within yourself with a lot of transparency and honesty, you might realize some of the lessons that I did. Wow, I achieved a lot because I didn't love myself very much. You can achieve and hate yourself at the same time. In fact, it's a big reason why a lot of people succeed at material um, success. You know, they're they're looking for that external validation. Um, I did that. So there's a lot of other things, but like people who really deeply want to see their areas for growth, they'll find them. And if you approach it with that sincerity in your heart, you'll you'll find them too. Look, I'm gonna be uh, frank here, right? Like, I. I kind of agree with you on about the acceptance part. Now, I don't think of it that way, but mm -hmm. here's my point, because something that I vividly, like, look, even though I, you know, I said a lot of good about my parents and there was a lot of good, mm -hmm. but there was negative too, right? A lot of my drive came from that negative, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example, right? When I grew up, I was uh, mocked by my dad, right? Like totally mocked. I remember one time it was so bad, my even my uncle walked out. Um, he came wow. over and I left my wallet on the, uh, on the uh, bar. We had a bar in the basement and I mm -hmm. left it on the top bar. And my dad, I guess, uh, was going through his own emotional thing, but I guess he liked to uh, rag on me. So he, my uncle came in the room. He goes, look, look, this loser has nothing. He goes to pick up my, uh, my wallet, gets it, dumps it upside down. He goes, look, nothing's falling out. Look at this loser, right? Like, and, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, he would turn to me and says, when are you going to stop wasting your time? And actually do something with your life and go to school and, and finally get educated. And I remember that used to be my drive. My drive and my only goal was to shove it to, to him. And for a while, that was my fuel, right? And, and just when I reached my peak performance, right? And I thought I could do no better, which later on I could prove I could do better. But that's not the point at that time. I felt like I was yeah, at yeah. my peak. And mm -hmm. um, he turns around and says, oh, you're still wasting your time? Then I sold my first business. Why'd you do that? You were doing so well. It's like you could do no right. You know what I mean? So where that hate and resentment that built up used to be my fueling fire. I understand. And then it started bringing me down because that only fires you for so long. Indeed. Right? And so then right. Oh, my God. You're going to enjoy the first part of the book so much. 
I remember, so I was in an abusive relationship with this guy who treated me like that. And he said to me, oh, you can't start a business. You're too stupid. You, you don't know what you're doing. You're too young. And my mantra became, fuck you, watch me. Wow. Yeah. That'll only take you just so far, but it sounds like yours was a less salty version of the same damn thing. Yeah. 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 I get that. And then granted, once he got sick, he kind of uh, made up for it. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those things that uh, I believe in restitution. I, I, you know, for me, just yeah. saying sorry, anybody could say sorry with no form of change. Meaning. Behavior is the ultimate apology. That's what I'm getting at, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Where he went from uh, put down to uh, when he got sick, he was actually very supportive. He, my, the, the following venture, the venture I'm in now, he actually helped with. Instead of turning it down and mocking it down, it became, "What do you need? How can I help?" I mean, in his own words, <laughs> I've got this theory going in my head right now that the way that he knew, which was probably the only card that he had to play was to poke you and prod you into success versus nurturing you into success. A lot of parents don't have a lot of tools in their toolbox. And perhaps he was one of those just old school Marlboro men that believe that you beat your children into being success versus inspiring them into it. Actually, I, I will agree with you there. He's very, very old school traditional. That That is consistent with, uh, yeah. with, with what his behavior was. So again, I, I don't doubt that there was love. I don't doubt whatever, right? It was just odd and, and unique. I mean, and again, when you got, when you got older, you got to see a different side that's that you start going, Oh, okay. Now I understand more. Right. Like, and yeah. it got better at the end. Right. So it was good. Like I'm, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. And I actually wouldn't change anything because I wouldn't be who I am today without it. That's right. Um, I, I definitely understand that. And I think that there's, um, a lot in our past that helps us to have the life that we have. The only problem with being, you know, of that mindset that, that I see is like, yeah, you wouldn't be who you are, but you're also missing out on who you could have been. And that who you could have been could have been happier, more successful, more joyful, more, who knows, maybe you would have been not as financially successful, but you might've been more spiritually free. You don't know, like it, it's hard to be like, you know, if only, right. So, um, I think being grateful for what is, is, is one thing, but I, I'm always, I'm always mindful of um, what could be because every single moment, this moment right now is an intersection. I can choose to go one way. I can choose to do something else. You know, I can go another way and, some, and something entirely different, but like every single moment and every choice that I make, every word that I say, every conversation that I have, same thing with you, we're voting for the person we want to be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I've become more self-aware, and that's why I call myself a work in progress right now, because I'm trying oh, to work you on. Until you're dead. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a never-ending thing, but I'm trying to tell you'll be perfect in your casket. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so and that's the thing, right? I, it's what I want to focus on more. And I notice the older I get, priorities change. What makes like what what not makes me happy because nothing makes you happy, but what when where I feel better or feel more content with mm -hmm. is different than when I was younger. Absolutely. Well, you, you start to find more, I mean, you in the Royal you sense, like 
we all find greater satisfaction in internal joy and nature and solitude and peace and quiet and and the the pleasure of just being the older we get because you know when we're young we like flashing lights and loud noise and you know dance clubs and casinos and drinking and drugs and all kinds of wacky stuff but you know all of that is a substitution for the thing that comes later which is the stillness and the knowing and the joy of being and just having this human experience that makes sense that makes sense yeah another pivotal moment i had this is after my dad already passed a friend of mine that's named teddy he uh I guess when my, my, my parents passed away, both of them passed um, two years apart. But when my dad passed, he uh, came over and we started talking, hanging out. And um, we just went for a drive. I didn't know where he was going. didn't tell me. I didn't think of it because I was just talking away. And I remember we went through this field. It was just random field. Like first we stopped off at Subway. We grabbed the Subway and I thought, okay, we're going to eat the Subway here. He goes, no, no, bring it in the car. We're going to go for a ride. Oh, okay. Uh, we went for a drive, just went through this field. No parent destination, nowhere to go. Windows rolled down, summer heat, and just chatted. And just being in that field with the wind coming in on me, it's like I escaped. I escaped myself and mm -hmm. had this feeling that, that I hadn't felt since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And it was almost that feeling that I was longing for. Because as a kid, I was the happiest person on the planet. Like mm -hmm. I would say I was happier than anybody I've ever met. Right, like the, the, I could, I was oblivious to anything that could be wrong, mm -hmm. and that day I had that feeling again, mm. and it was like I don't know what it was, I don't know how we how it happened, but it's almost like he knew that that would do it. It's almost like he had some formula that he knew that would do it, or maybe he just knew what to ask. And he studied psychology, so maybe there's something to it. <laughs> right, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Right. But it was just odd that one day it was that one day escape. And, I, and honestly, I think I needed it that day. Yeah. I've had many moments in life like that. And uh, I'm, I'm of the mind that we can have them whenever we choose to, but we have to get ourselves in the right framework and create the right space for us to do it. And, you know, so presence is one of the habits that I talk about. It's our ability to really be present with what is, but, not just present as in not checking our phones, but like really leaning into this moment. Like, you know, like, look, here's the truth. This might be the last time you and I ever talk. It might be, you know, um, it tends to go that way. Right. And if it is, I want to enjoy this moment. I do because this one's special. Like this will be my only intersection with you in this life. And if it is, I'd like to make sure it's, you know, really awesome. And if, it, and if we both lean into this moment and make it awesome, maybe it won't be the last one because it's so good. Right. And it's like, we have that option when we wake up in the morning, the sunbeam is on the bed. Like maybe you can hit snooze and let the cat sit on your stomach and purr with you for a while and just enjoy it. And just like live and feel these moments instead of just rushing them away by the I gotta's like the I wanna's <laughs> matter more. Yeah, I, I get that part. Okay, so now, now now you put that on my agenda. I gotta go get a cat. Meow. <laughs> right now, go get one. Um, actually I've got my little fuzzy friend sitting at my feet. I saw her coming in and uh, I've got like this little mat where this little robot goes around in a circle. It's a little fake mouse. And uh I mean 
pets are wonderful because they don't have silly things like jobs and smartphones and paychecks and houses and mortgages and whatever. Um, and pets are just, they're present all the time. Pets are mindful. They, they live in the moment. And I think that everybody should have a pet, frankly, with the, the, the pet homelessness problem. I'd love to see everybody have a pet and provide a loving home, you know, adopt, don't shop, do all the things. Um, but if you do that, you can learn so much from these tiny fuzzy teachers because they will do something like just stop and enjoy a sunbeam because it's like, oh, I love sunbeams. And it's like, you know, <laughs> or like, you know, I want to play with you right now. Or like, you know what? No, I'm in the mood for a nap, man. This is awesome. Or like, I mean, dogs are so different. They're like, holy shit. Look, it's my tail. Oh my God. It's my tail, you guys. Oh my God. Have you seen this? It's the best thing ever. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. It's just like, it's, it's just, I mean, dogs are fur and enthusiasm and I just love it. And it's like, I mean, if you pick a fuzzy companion, you have like all these different things and they share life with you and they go through their life cycle and you get to actually observe when they're young and filled with energy and, you know, piss and vinegar and everything and just enthusiasm and curiosity. I would say curiosity killed the cat, can, um, but like, God, they really know how to live in ways that we really should take notes on. Toddlers have the same abilities, by the way. So we all used to be toddlers. Uh, so it's not like it's not already pre-installed. It's just been taken out and we can easily put the programming back in. Absolutely. And you know what? You're absolutely right about the toddlers. My sister's little one who's really not that little anymore, but I keep calling her the little one. Um, I remember like sometimes she comes over well, and stays over. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. So <laughs> I, 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 it's funny because she comes uh, over, right? And uh, we built up this little so-called routine and, uh, you know, and we look forward to it or I look forward to it. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things that it's awesome and it's fun. Yeah. And I you know like what? It doesn't need to be this big, complicated thing. Awesome and fun is good enough. It could be, you know, every time you see this little person, maybe you've got like this secret handshake just because, you know, like that's the wonderful thing about kids and, you know, a lot of pets and stuff is they haven't forgotten the divine art of play we adults are so freaking boring. We've forgotten how to play. We don't play with our spouses. We don't play games. We don't just do things to be silly. We're just boring. And frankly, I think adults are really joyless. Um, and we pursue money because we like having stuff. Do I have the biggest boat, the biggest house, the newest car, blah, 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 blah. Guess what? I see you out there with all your nice cars that ain't making you any happier. So Yeah, that's true. I, I, you know what? I've become somewhat of a minimalist and I'm not using it to be a fancy word to say, Ooh, I'm a minimalist. I don't mean it that way. Um, other than my, uh, like my gear for my podcast, I don't really have anything expensive. I mean, forget the car. A car is a car, but I just have a basic car. I got rid of the fancy car. I mean, I went from driving Mercedes to a drive a Toyota now and I don't miss it. I know neither do I care. And to be honest, I hate the Toyota, not because I hate it. because It's a great car. I just hate the fact that I had to spend money on it. And then I, cause I care about money. I just, I, I don't value cars. I, I, I acknowledge I needed to get from A to B, but I have no value in them other than that. So I don't actually yeah, care what I hey, have. I drive an Acura. I think it's like a 2016. I don't care. A girlfriend of mine who doesn't love herself as much as I love myself. She wants to do plastic surgery all the time, even though she looks hot like smoking hot it's never enough and she just bought herself a maserati and 
you know, she's trying to buy a house and she probably just screwed her chances of like buying a house because when you're trying to get a mortgage, you can't have big bills. Like, so there's a real material cost to constantly chasing external highs. If you can actually create the highs within yourself, you'll be happy with the Toyota or the yeah. Acura or the 1979 Yugo or whatever it is that you've got and just realize it doesn't matter. A car exactly. is going to get you from point A to point B safely. If it does that, it's a good car. And that's my point. So if I don't touch something for 90 days, I get rid of it. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Really that simple. Um, if you go into the house, all you see is two beds, one in one room if I have a guest, and then the one I sleep in. You have my dresser for my clothes. My closet has my clothes. Um, I have dishes, knives, forks, fridge, you know, and a couch and a TV, and that's about it. I don't uh, have any other additionals or anything like that. I don't need it to live by myself. Hmm? I appreciate that very much. Um, I think my mother would internally die if she heard you say that because my mom has little love notes that I gave her back in 1983. And um, my mom is not a hoarder, but she is extremely sentimental about her belongings because these belongings equate to memories and memories equate to happy feelings for her. Um, and a lot of people feel that way. So they, they have a pretty big attachment to stuff. Yeah, I, I don't have that. I mean, the memories I need to have in me, I don't need things to remind me. My memory sucks. So I don't have the minimalist lifestyle that you do. I tend to have <laughs> things because it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, I take pictures of a lot of different things. Um, it's almost like that movie Memento, but like without the murder and everything. Um, but like, I just, I don't know what it is. I just I do not remember a lot of things. And unless I see a photo of it, I'll completely forget that it happened or, um, you know, or I had this nice experience and I want to, ex I want to remember the nice experiences, but like, I don't know, like, taking pictures is not a bad thing, especially if you've got more memory than you know what to do with on your phone or in Google drive or whatever. But then you said it there on your phone or in Google drive, right? I can have pictures and I have tons of pictures, right? But I don't need them lying around. I don't need them in front of me. I can have it on my phone. We carry around our phone every single day, right? Like yeah. it's always in front of us. Why not take a look? So I store it, you know, you just get something with a lot of memory in it and then I store it, right? Yep. So I, I don't need the constant uh, items around the house for yeah. that, right? I, I, again, I like no fault for anybody who does. That's fine. Yeah, We're all absolutely. different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I, I remember when I moved away from Massachusetts um, and I moved to Hawaii, I had to get rid of a lot of stuff because we were downsizing and moving into a smaller place. Real estate is so expensive there. Um and I was listening to that Marie Kondo book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up or whatever. And, and like, it was just a coincidence that I was listening to it. I was like, well, whatever, that's in my rotation. My God, I started going through all my stuff. Nope, doesn't bring me joy. Nope, doesn't bring me joy. Bye, 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 bye. And you know what? It's funny, like half that stuff that I got rid of, I, I think I've never thought of it. Um, there was there's maybe like five or six items that i that i got rid of that i was like damn i wish i didn't get rid of that my fake christmas tree was one of them that thing was awesome but <laughs> in the condo so who cares but That's i don't know awesome. i like to buy like little random stuff like i went to an antiques market and i got this really beautiful little hobnail vase and it's really pretty and it's an antique and it's lovely and it's a my favorite color and i was like you know what screw it it's 10 bucks i'm gonna get it i always get chapstick on my desk anyway so now i got a great thing to put the chapstick in and does it bring me joy? Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, well, it brings you joy, and, and you have a use for it, right? 
Yeah. So it makes sense, right? Like, being a dust collector. Yeah, exactly. So everyone, you know, and most of my stuff ends up in the basement, which becomes a dust collector, which when I go into the basement and see the basement's full, I grab the uh, truck, load it up, go to the dump. Good for you. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not against buying. Don't misunderstand me. Like I buy a lot of stuff, maybe too much crap, but I just don't keep anything very long because once I lose the joy, I get rid of it. Library card. Yeah. Borrow things and save some money. Well, even with the books, right? What I, like one thing I've done, I don't keep books anymore. I used to. I ended up having four bookshelves worth of books. And one day I had to move and I was in the middle of a contract and I thought I can't leave. The movers are coming in three days. I don't know what to do with it. And I don't have time to pack and I don't value them enough to pay the movers 175 bucks an hour to pack them for me. So what did I do? I grabbed them, went to the local library, dumped them on, said, you can have it. So now yeah. I make a habit. I grab something, I read it. Once I'm done reading it, if I'm sure I won't read it again, then I donate it to somebody or I give it to somebody else that I think could use it. That's smart. I was doing that until I remembered that libraries are a thing. Um, and because I was like, man, I want to borrow people's books. Duh, libraries exist, dumbass. So I went, like when I went out to vote uh, last week, I went out and got myself a library card and I got a couple of books and it's great. And, you know, I, I am the type of person that if, I find like I have, I do retain a lot of my self-help books because I return to them because I highlight them, mark them up, put little stickies in them because it's more like reference material, novels and stuff. There's maybe like maybe 15 books that I have um, that I read and I was like, oh, I can't wait to read that again. Give me like three years so I can completely forget what it says inside um, or whatever, like that book, Eat, Pray, Love. Fabulous. I still have it. I enjoyed it so much. It was like, oh, what a journey. So, um, you know, that was fun. Absolutely. Now, exactly. Like now don't get me wrong. There's a handful of books that I constantly keep. Like one of my favorite books is, uh, by Darren J. Hardy. It's, uh, the compound effect. Mm. And I read it literally like clockwork. I read it every 24 months. Helps me get to read. Yeah. It gives, it gives me a reset. So that's one book that I bought. Well, I bought a lot of copies of it because at the end of the book, it says, if you enjoyed the book, buy five copies and pass them out. And I did it. So I, uh, I should put in my next book. Yeah. And it's all about having habits, you know, finding your goals, finding what you want in life, mm -hmm. creating the habits for it and being consistent about it every single day. Little tiny habits repeated over and over and over consistently on a daily basis ends up giving you the big event that you're looking for. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. I actually... Um... Huh. I should really put some sort of invitation in my next book for people to buy a bunch because I've had a lot of people purchase a copy for friends, which was really nice because it affected them so positively. I also had a gentleman and this made me super happy. Not going to lie. I had a gentleman read my book. He was so transformed and so happy um, that he wanted to share it with all of the people he works with. And what he does is he works with women who uh, have come out of domestic abuse situations that are looking to rebuild their lives. So he wanted me to send him an entire case of signed books, all for these women. That is amazing. I know. Warm and fuzzy. That made my whole week. I was like, oh my God, I get to do good in the world. Yes. <laughs> With something I already did. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I want a copy of your book. Um, you can get it at the six habits.com. If you spell out the word, it's T H E S I X habits.com. If you order it from my website, I will sign it for you and then I'll pop it in the mail. Deal. Deal. 
you know what? Perfect. Now that you said that, I, I'll remember that. Definitely. That's exactly where I'll go to get it. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, it's on Audible, and so it's read by yours truly. Uh, it's also on Amazon, but I don't know. I like I like having a book that's like personally, you know, written something nice in the cover by the author. That's that's rare and special. I realize I'm not like you know the big author of the year or anything. I know that, but still, if someone's writing words to you and they wrote something special to you specifically, I think it makes the words, um, I don't know, a little stickier. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It uh, again, right? It, it's a, it's an extra touch point, though. Something to uh, remember. Totally. Yeah, Jordan Peterson is uh, definitely one of my favorite authors. I got to meet him, and I I thought he was going to be signing books, and I bought one, and um, I already read it. And he didn't sign books, and I was like, me, so sad. <laughs> Fascinating that you mentioned him. I've recently come across him. I would say in the last six months. Oh. I have not read his books, but I watch a lot of his interviews. Mm, and I'm so blown away every single time. Oh, same. You should start with B, uh, mm, his first one. It's got the white cover, um, 12 Rules for Life. Start there. And then there's another one. It's like 12 More Rules for Life Beyond Order. I would do the first, the, the white cover one first. first. It's really good. He's such a nice man, too. And some people are like, oh, he's such an asshole. No, he's a nice man who isn't taking your shit. There is a difference. Yeah, I'm a nice I, person who's also not taking your shit. It's, it's just the same. It's like you can be a nice person who has boundaries. And I think as a culture, we all need to get better at that, is understanding boundaries are good. Yeah, I agree with you. So with that being said, we're at the 52 mark. I want to get into what I call the lightning round, which okay. is just a few fun questions. Okay. Such as what is your favorite food and why? Ribeye, because it's delicious. All right. I'm going to come down to where you are. We're going to go for a ribeye because that's my favorite too. <laughs> Especially with that nice crispy char on the fat. I'm the weirdo who eats the fat. Absolutely. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. Mm -hmm. I usually like it with the, um, oh my God, why do I forget this? Is the green stuff. I'm supposed to remember the greens. <laughs> Lettuce? No, no. It's, uh, it looks, oh, it's like these sticks with the leaves on the end. I forgot what it's called. Sticks with leaves on the trees. Uh, Spanish? No, I forgot. I forgot Sticks what it is. Leaves on the end. I feel uh, like this is the lightning round of a game I can't win. Sticks with <laughs> leaves on the end. Oh, my God. Not, not Rapini. What is it? Oh, my God. Broccoli Rob? No, no, but. Broccolini? No. No, it's not broccoli. No, broccoli has too many is leaves. It, is it a cruciferous vegetable? I'm not sure. Person, place, or thing? No, it's a, it's a form of a vegetable, but I just don't know what it. Sticks with leaves on the end. I'm calling it a stick with you leaves. Mean asparagus? That's it. Thank you. <laughs> I win. I don't know what I win, but I win. <laughs> Yeehaw! Sticks with leaves you... <laughs> on the end. Okay, what's your next question? <laughs> Favorite travel spot? Uh, Maui. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I used to live there. It's still my favorite travel spot. I, well, especially now that I have friends there. No, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's just, it's it's like a spiritual home for me. So I always feel very happy um, being there. Favorite book? I don't have one. Fair I love enough. Reading. Like, 
I'm a voracious reader, so it's tough for me to say I have a favorite. Um, I have multiple favorites in every genre. I get it. I get it. I'm, uh, I read a lot as well. 24 books a year on average. Good for you. So, uh, favorite podcast. Um, I like, God, it depends on the day. I like Dan Bongino's podcast. Sometimes I'll listen to Ben Shapiro. Um, sometimes I'll listen to Joe Rogan. I'm really not really, I'm not loyal to any particular show. It depends on the mood I'm in. I have, as you might imagine, I have a hard time developing habits. Um, because I like variety. Makes sense. I got last question of the day mm-hmm. is how do you know you've had a successful day? If I'm smiling. Awesome. Laura, <laughs> I want to say thank you. This has been phenomenal, man. We had two parts and they were great on both times. Awesome. Thank you. I feel the same way. I'm glad that you feel that way. Thanks. So thanks for having me here again. And uh, I hope this is not the last time I see you or talk to you. That would bum me out. No, let's definitely make a make a point of staying in touch. Okay, that sounds good. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, definitely I'll uh, keep in touch and I'll let you know when it's posted too. Good. Thank you. Pleasure. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below.